Work, workforce, and workplace norms are shaped as much by popularized portrayals as they are by our lived experiences. From sensational headlines, like The Great Resignation, to successful series, like The Office and Silicon Valley, to skits and stories shared on our social media feeds, what we see shapes what we believe. Let's go behind the scenes to discover what's new now and next in the world of work, and we'll challenge the traditions of what it means to live well and to work well. This is Success From Anywhere. Today on Success From Anywhere, we'll meet a serial Silicon Valley founder who turned failure into an opportunity to flourish. She's an author, leadership expert, keynote speaker, and coach to some of the largest private equity investment and technology firms in the world, all while wearing her signature cowboy boots. Please join me in welcoming a woman who knows how to kick a little, Tissa Richards. Karen, it's so good to see you. It's great to see you too. And one question I like to ask every guest because we do talk about work on this show is, what was your first job and how did that job inform or inspire your career trajectory? You know, my very, very first job ever was actually teaching piano to everybody from five-year-olds to my oldest student was 95 when she took her first piano lesson. Wow. I taught piano as well. And I don't know about you. There is nothing like the joy of the moment when someone masters that first piece that's even slightly out of reach. It's such a joyous co-creation experience. It is. And I, what's really fun too is the joy of music. I think that the most exciting thing was a, a kid who came running up my, my front walkway and burst the door open and said, did you know that music is the same? Because I think he was learning flute or something in his band class. He said, music's the same. I don't have to relearn it. I just have to learn how to play this instrument. And it was really cute because I think he'd suddenly realized that all of music was accessible to him. That was a a really cool day. Well, I said in the opening, you've got your signature cowboy boots. Tell us about that. How is that part of your superpower? I think it's part of my brand. You know, when I started my last company and moved out of Silicon Valley to Austin, Texas, I realized I'm not very good at wearing high heels, you know. You got to have a little bit of grace and coordination, and I have none of that. And I realized that they were really comfortable to walk in for miles through airports and conference centers and things. And they come in really fun colors and patterns. And I realized I could really express myself and be comfortable in the process. And I'm a, I'm all about finding sort of your personal brand and and not trying to fit in with what other people are wearing or doing and being really authentic. And I thought well, this is a way to be authentic and comfortable at the same time. So that's, uh, I show up to most meetings in a a pair of really loud, but very comfortable cowboy boots. And I like to say to people, just show up and be you and be comfortable. Don't try to, don't try to put on a mask or fit in, in a way that doesn't make sense. Wise words from someone who is a founder. And you mentioned the importance of finding your personal brand and being authentically yourself, which is core to your story of, Founder, failure, flourish journey. Take us inside starting a business, what happened and what you've learned. Oh boy, I've learned a lot. I, <laughs> and Karen, you know some of that. We've been on it. You know, We've known each other for a number of years now. I have started a couple of companies and you know, the last one failed spectacularly at the, ve- the very end on the precipice of success. And then for a number of reasons, we had to make a decision as a board and an executive team to shut it down 
to stay aligned with our values. Again, to be really true to what we knew was the right thing. And that cost everybody a lot of money, a lot of heartache, a lot of just a, it was a difficult, it was a difficult journey. And I think people fear failure. They think it's going to impact their reputation. It's going to impact their future chances at success. If you're doing the right thing, it's never going to impact you in a negative way, right? As long as you don't conflate failure with defeat. Defeat is when you just think that's it. I, I have personally failed. There's never anything else. Failure is okay. It didn't work. Pivot, take the lessons and do the next thing. And I'm really passionate about making sure that nobody is defeated by failure. One of the differentiators is that defining moment in your story you referenced where you could have succeeded and the reason you chose to close your business was a values mismatch. Say more about that because sometimes we assign a cost to our values and we feel like the price is too high to pay or sometimes the price is just right. Take yeah. us more inside of that story of what were your values? What was the mismatch? And how did you ultimately make a decision to walk away realizing it would cost you everything except your integrity? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think what's, if I can step back and make this a, a more global message too, I think it's impossible to make those decisions in the moment because you are so, you're on the, you're on the wheel. Things are happening so quickly. Something that's really important is you have to know what your values are. You also have to know what decision you're going to make in the moment. And I think what's really critical for leaders, for anybody at any stage in your career and in life is to know your non-negotiables and to know why they're your non-negotiables. And those can be different for everybody, right? But to know this is what I hold very, very, very close. This is what is my values. And this is why, and this is when I'm going to stand up and say, no matter what this costs me, I am not going to budge on it. And it can be anything as low stakes as, hey, respect is one of my non-negotiables. So if, an, if a situation gets really, really escalated, you're not going to get the best work out of me. So I'm going to be able to say, hey, let's put a pause on it and come back when we're all more calm because that's how I work the best. That can be a non-negotiable all the way to the most extreme, which in my case, in our board's case was we can't, we can no longer take sort of the, the terms that are being given to us. We can no longer sort of work within this environment that perhaps our investors or our partners are giving to us. We need to make a decision to actually put a pause on the company. But knowing that in advance is really, really key. Otherwise, when the stakes are really high and things are coming at you fast and furious, cognitively, it's very difficult to have that clarity. No, going in, I do these workshops all the time where you go in and you say, I'm going to do this. This is a moment without high stakes, without tension. Here's what's really important to me. Here's why. Here's how I'm going to make everything from the lowest stakes to the highest stakes decision and contextualize it with my within my values. That's really key to know your non-negotiables. Think about your non-negotiables and your values when you are not under pressure and needing to rely on them as a filter for decision making. That is a great tip. And also know your why, not just what you value, know why you value that so much. You talked a moment ago about sitting with the delta between defeat and failure. And there are people listening that are thinking, Tessa, you were crazy to walk away. I mean, you, you can find a great therapist or an executive coach that will help you through the values mismatch, take the money, keep going. On the other side of this, you had to have entered some kind of valley of despair. I mean, there's no way that you were just sitting around going, good news, pop the champagne. I'm living in alignment with my values and yeah. I'm feeling great. No. How did you get through that setback to comeback process? 
Absolutely. And you know, whether it's shutting down a company, whether it's leaving a job that just doesn't feel right anymore, it's a process. You you absolutely hit the nail on the head here. And you know, when I did my TEDx talk with you a few months ago, it was about resilience, being a muscle memory. And the more that you do this, the more you're able to make those decisions based on your values, the more you'll be able to number one, do them more automatically, but it does ultimately increase your resilience. That's not to say that immediately to your point, going to pop up the next day and go, oh, I just gave notice and that was really easy. Or I just shut down a company that cost me millions of dollars. That was fun. It's not fun. But as you come through it and you process it and you realize what were my other decision paths, I could have done something that was totally misaligned. That's going to be bad for your reputation. Ultimately, it's going to cost you in the tension, right? The cognitive dissonance of doing something that you know is not right. Let's say you're in a a role that is just not, it's not, it's a culture mismatch for you where every day you come home and you think I'm exhausted. Work is tiring as it is, right? Giving it your all is tiring. If you're also in a place that's not right for you, it's more and more and more tiring. So the more that you're doing something that is not aligned with your values and where you give the best value for yourself, ultimately you're not going to be resilient. You're not going to be the most effective and it's just going to chip away at you. So when you come out of it, when you make that decision to say, I'm putting my foot down, this is a non-negotiable. I'm going to step away. At first, it's a little bit, it's hard. It may make you feel like you failed. It may make you feel like this was a hard decision, but the more distance you get from it, especially when you contextualize that decision and the why you'll get through it It might cost you some money, might cost you some, you might feel embarrassed, but the narrative is a good one. And you'll get through it. I promise it is always a comeback if you've made it for the right decisions or sorry, you've made the decision for the right reasons. You wrote a book called No Permission Needed, and you take people through the process of defining your values and thinking about who you are as a leader. And one of the powerful statements in the book is your values are a fact. They're a fact. This isn't anyone's opinion. They are a fact. What other wisdom would you offer people who are thinking about what kind of leader do they need to be now, given the context shifts we've all lived through in the past couple of years and certainly more to come? I think it's it's really important. And I, I'm so glad you reminded me of that because I think the corollary to that is that your value is a fact. So your values are a fact and the value you bring is a fact. And so one of the things that so many people say to me is it feels really arrogant to say, hey, this is what I'm known for. I'm known for creating these outcomes. I'm also known for creating those outcomes by leading teams with this sort of leadership style or with these values. So I think that being able to say that out loud and always connect it to outcomes is really, really important, especially as you want to get through your career, as you want to accelerate, as you want to get your team motivated. Setting context is really key that way, right? Tell people. This is why I get frustrated when someone comes up to me and says, hey, my superpower is empathy. Okay, I'm a little bit underwhelmed by that, unless you can tell me why that matters. If you can tell me that empathy is a superpower because it gives, it makes everybody feel valued, it creates psychological safety, it makes people feel that they can experiment and be safe doing that. Now, what you've done is connect that directly to an outcome at an individual level, a team level, even an organizational level. Now I understand the so what of that. And if we can learn how to think that way and speak that way and communicate it to each other and anyone that matters, now what I think we've really done is give the so what even of those values. What showed up for me and what you just said is values are something that you define and hold close for yourself. 
so that you are in a position to deliver value to other people and never confuse the two. You know, values are for you to show up at your best. Value is linked to the outcomes that you create as an extension of that for others. And you and I were talking a little bit in the pre-show about shifting focus and how you're spending more time talking with everyone from founders to funders to board members about this concept of outcomes. Say more about the coaching that you're providing on that topic and why that matters to all of us. Yeah, absolutely. So, so much of what I do is always connected to outcomes. So the question I ask every day, and I say it with love, but I say it in a very direct way is, so what? So when somebody comes and says, here's, here's who I am, here's what I do, I'll always say, so what? Tell me why that matters. And that's how we make companies memorable. That's how we create company brands. That's how we create personal brands. The most important thing about connecting what you do with why it matters is anchoring you in people's minds, is reducing friction in teams. Anything that we do is the so what, right? So when you talk about yourself, we have to get to clarity. Tell me why what you do matters. Why does your work matter? How do you create an outcome? How do you motivate your team? Everything, the most important question is, so what? If we have an organizational, if we have a new revenue target, if we have a new set of KPIs, so what? What is our new strategy going to be to get there? So what? When we can get super clear on that, everybody suddenly is working together. And if you're going to say, hey, the way I work is this way, so what? How's that going to connect the outcome, the people, the work? It's the glue. But so many people are really bad about being specific. So what is the specifics? And that's how we build the skills to get there. It's really the practical, the tangible, the actionable. But when I say to you, so what? What I'm really saying is, how are we going to get there? What do we need to do to close the gap? And a lot of people are not good at answering this. So what? Did you know that 68% of workers say a hybrid workplace is their preference? Make hybrid work for everyone with Robin. Robin is the industry-leading flexible workplace platform for connecting people with rooms, desks, and each other. We've helped companies like Peloton, Toyota, and Hulu build better workplace experiences. Plus, we integrate with the tools you already know and love. To learn more about how we make flexible work a reality, visit www.robinpowered.com. And you're an advocate that So What is a tool for developing and sustaining psychological safety as well. Say more about that. Yeah, I, I think it's also about self-advocacy. So if you can say, for example, So What, here's why what I do matters. That's a way to sort of also say, here's why I should be able to, let's, for example, maybe get that new title get this compensation, be part of this team. Or if I can tell you, this is the goal we have as an organization or a team, I'm going to give you a lot more space as a team to go and work that way. I'm not going to micromanage you. I'm going to give you the freedom and the flexibility to work towards that outcome. I'll give you an example. When I was a CEO, my team knew that they could go and do what they needed. And as long as we were working towards the outcome and they came to me and said, we think we should port our whole product to a new operating system. I'm glad I was sitting down because that is a big undertaking. That's not like, hey, we think we should be on iOS instead of Android. It was an entire company. It was basically everything we had created to date, you know, four or five years of, of coding. But they had been tinkering in the lab and realized they saw our, our pipeline. They saw our product roadmap and said, where we are, which was on Linux, is probably not going to get us where we need to go. We think we should go over to FreeBSD. 
it's going to be more robust. We're not going to fall over. We'll be able to scale to way bigger networks, more secure. And I said, well, just tell me what that means. Well, we're probably going to be six to nine months behind our deliverables. So I had to go to investors. I had to go to customers. I had to go to partners and say, that significantly impacts our capital roadmap, our product roadmap, our deliverables. But the team feels that this is why we should do it. And here's, you know, here's what it means. But they felt safe. They felt safe coming and saying, we've done some tinkering. We've even done some experimentation. Everybody was safe doing that, but they also knew what the so what was. We wanted a great valuation for the company. We wanted to get to things. This wasn't just two months in the roadmap. This was two years ahead. So giving people that context and that safety, great things can happen. And you hit at another important leadership principle or entrepreneur principle, which is we all feel greater ownership of what we help to create. And sometimes the most challenging thing as a founder or a funder or as a leader is to let go of something that you've created because the team highlights a better way. Yeah. I'm guessing you spend some amount of time coaching people on how to discern when to be a leader that says, I know the way we're going this way versus, hmm, perhaps there's some merit to what you're saying and I need to let go of the reins a little bit. How do you coach people on striking that balance? Because we all hang on to things that we created because we feel great about them and we see how much work we put into it. And yeah. sometimes we think we know, even if we don't. How do you coach people through that process of when to double down and say, this is the way forward versus when to be open to completely changing direction, perhaps? Yeah. And I think the question of completely changing direction is an interesting one because the when you think about even the story I just told you, that wasn't completely changing direction. That was to get us to the direction of the company, right? So I think there's the question when I'm coaching people or talking even to executive leadership teams or boards is, what's the macro strategy? That's that's one thing. But that means we know we're going to have to hike extra fast to make up the lost time. I think it's the it's the more micro level, how do we get to the end destination? So sometimes it's about the journey and not the destination. And if you're also trying to control the journey, then there's time to sort of coach people and say, are you also controlling the journey? Because people need to be able to fill in their own roadmap sometimes. But that's part of the role of a board. That's part of the role of the ELT is where do we need to be and why? Is it to hit revenue targets? Is it to hit you know customer deployments? But can we give people a lot of space to figure out there might be a better way? Um, there might be some features that would be great if we could add in as long as it's within the envelope of our budget or things like that. Um, but micromanagement, no one, no one likes to be micromanaged and we're adults. Let's, let's not micromanage adults. And if you need to, did you choose the right team? And speaking of boards, you coach people and help them get into first and second and third board positions and then prepare them for that journey and support them along the way. A number of our listeners hold the aspiration of being on a board and yet it feels like a mysterious black box. How does one get on a board? What would people need to do to get ready? Give us a little express coaching on how to become a board member. Yeah, yeah. This is a really, it's, it's, it's amazing how many people have this, this goal and that it's almost secret. I think the first thing is don't make this goal a secret. That's, that would be my very first piece of advice. If people don't know what you want to do, then they can't help you. So it's the same thing, by the way, and it's not exactly your question, Karen, but if you want to get into the C-suite, if you want, whatever your goal is, don't keep it to yourself because your network is your most valuable asset to you. And if you have an aspiration, don't hide it. So if you're thinking, I'd like to get on a board, 
tell people. I think it's also to, to realize that what is the role of a board? It's to help set strategy and reduce risk. And so think how you can do that. But a board versus an, uh, an executive operating team is not operational. So I love this, this saying of noses in, fingers out. You're not doing on a board. You are helping set strategy. You're assessing the team, but you're not operating. So you're not rolling up your sleeves and doing. So what we want to do is translate, especially as an op- you know, an executive leadership. If you come from executive leadership or you're still active as an operator, um, we want to sort of translate your accomplishments there more onto the strategy. So it's even more important to be able to say, so what? So all the things you've done, what's the so what? How is that going to help a company uh, set strategy or reduce risk and get really hyper-specific about yourself? Who do you help? Why does it matter? Don't be afraid to, to be specific. What kind of domains can you help? How does that help create value? And I think even more specifically, leverage your LinkedIn Put in your headline things like board, board advisor, just start advising companies. Uh, the more you do that, the more people will see the value that you bring. And as an aspiration, so many people will say to me, I want to start on a public company. Really, really rare to get your first board to be a public company. So look at startups, look at earlier stage companies, start there and think of your message, be specific. I love this as a script. Hey, you know, I'm known for this. I'm looking to add a board to my portfolio who do you know that I can help? Not who do you know that has a board seat right now? And start having conversations with CEOs, with board members, where you can let them pick your brain, give some advice. And the more you do that, the more people will realize you have a lot to offer. Great guidance. You have to speak about yourself, in, not in terms of what you've done, what you can do strategically for the people that you're hoping to serve. Don't keep your aspirations a secret in any area of your life, whether that's doing a triathlon, getting on a board position, accessing the C-suite, whatever that might be. And then I love your simple conversational framework for how to make that ask. Start small, ask people who you can help, go be helpful. It will spread out from there. There will be a preponderance of goodness. Yes. Given your work with private equity firms and also your experience with fundraising, what advice would you offer to people who are trying to raise money right now? Because it is a challenging environment if you're looking for funding. And based on your wisdom and the private equity firms that you spend time with, what advice would you give to every founder looking for funding? I think I would raise money very differently now if I was doing it again. And I think one of the things that a lot of founders and CEOs don't do is learn that they are also can be in the driver's seat. You're so desperate for capital a lot of time that you you sort of will take any behavior. You'll take any, any back talk. You'll take anything because capital keeps you alive. I think what's, what's really interesting is, and this loops back to our discussion about values and non-negotiables, is I tolerated a lot of behaviors, a lot of just commentary that I wouldn't today. And that may also just be age and, and wisdom. But qualifying, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of funds that said that they were early stage pre-revenue. And then when I got there, they said, well, you don't have revenue. Well, isn't that the definition of pre-revenue? <laughs> but just that ability to close down a meeting really quickly. If it wasn't a match, great. Let's not waste anybody's time or asking questions. There was, I, I frequently didn't ask any questions. I felt like I was being grilled. Take the time to ask questions. Ask Ask how they do business. What are their values? What are their non-negotiables? Qualify just as much as they're 
qualifying you. But I think we're afraid to do that as founders because we're so desperate for capital. But desperation for capital, not all dollars are created equal. And you can find yourself in a position where you have absolutely the wrong investors that are our values mismatch with you. And that can be far more dangerous to you than being undercapitalized. So if you are further down the road, it looks like they may invest. Talk to their previous investments. Talk to their previous portfolio companies. Talk to the ones that went wrong, the ones that failed. Find out what they're like. It's all kumbaya at the beginning, but find out what it's like when it's not kumbaya. Because you're going to set the culture for your company and your teams. Find out what the culture is going to be like with the people who are going to be on your board and are going to be asking you really hard questions. You need to ask them hard questions too. This is not squishy. This is critical. The difference between a scarcity mindset and an abundance mindset is what you're willing to settle for. Yes. With all the work you've been doing, I'm curious, what do you want your legacy from this work that you're doing now to be? Oh, Karen, these are... These are good questions. You told me you'd throw some questions at me that I wasn't anticipating. <laughs> I want my legacy to be a, a group of leaders who are very unshakable and know what their own legacy is. So helping people do that. And that's, that's knowing their so what, that's knowing their values, that's being unshakable in the face of anything that happens to them, both personally, their teams, their companies. And I think that that comes from helping them figure out their value, their values, and being able to stand up and say, this is what I'm known for. This is why it matters. And this is how I lead my teams and my companies. Well, thank you for that. And now we like to switch into a little more fun section of the show called the virtual water cooler, because people say they miss this spontaneous experience of bumping into someone and having a casual conversation. So imagine you and I are wearing cowboy boots and, you know, we roll into the break room together for a little casual conversation. I'm going to ask you five quick questions. You just say the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? I, this is fun. We have kind of done this. So yes, this is great. Okay. What time of day do you do your best creative work? Either 2 p.m. or 8 p.m. Speaking of time, if you had an extra hour in every day, you now have 25 hours instead of 24. How will you spend your additional hour? Reading or walking my dog. If you had to eat one meal every day for the rest of your life, what would it be? Can I just ask a clarifying question? Is this a calorie-free meal? Like it doesn't, it doesn't really. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, okay. This is not the time to pick the egg white omelet with okay, the spinach. Okay. Uh, it would be sourdough toast with hummus and melted cheese with a really nice tomato from my garden. Oh, that sounds delicious. And now you're making me hungry. So mm -hmm. I guess I'm going to use my extra hour to eat, apparently. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now imagine the zombie apocalypse is coming. Who are the three people you want on your team? Oh my gosh. Ooh, I want somebody who's really funny. Somebody who is very uh, handy and can, you know, make a shelter and knows how to, you know, start a fire. And I want somebody who is, could speak a number of languages. That is a great skill mix, especially the multi-languages. Very wise. And last one, how can listeners learn more about you and stay in touch with you and your new thought leadership? Yeah. So uh, my website is eponymous. So it's tissarichards.com. And there are my courses are there, my keynotes, my corporate workshops. Thanks to founder, author, speaker, and coach Tissa Richards for joining us today on Success From Anywhere, because success is not a destination. Success is not a location. Success is available to anyone, anytime, anywhere. Thanks for listening. 